turn that shit down. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of a Yet Unnamed Movie Podcast. Yet Unnamed. My name is Joey Bonnier. Uh, across the table, we have my friend Derek Laporte. How you doing, Derek? I'm good. How are you, Joey? I didn't really mean to boo you. Yeah. And it's next okay. to me, we have Mr. Boo Sean Fall. Sean Fall. Yay. Boo Master himself. All right. So uh, for this week, we watched the classic Casablanca. Yay. Casablanca. 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 Yep. The White House. All right. So let's just dive right in, gentlemen. What's our first impressions? Derek, what'd you think? Um. Yeah. So this is, uh, I don't know, time number uh, four, five, six, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Watching this thing, um, yeah, it's good. It's uh, well written. It's you know, um, uh, it's good. It's <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's a good Hollywood movie. I mean, it's known as like number one or two on most lists, right? Yeah. Well, on yeah, on many a list, many a list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would not be one or two on mine. Mm-hmm. Would it be top? Twenty? Does it does it make your hundred? Mm. Yeah, where, where does it, it would make my it would make my hundred. Mm. It would probably make my fifty. Right on. It okay. might make my thirty, but Damn. might not. That's pretty high for a movie yeah. that you're just kind of like meh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean it is. You know, you taking historical, historical and influential, importance, okay. all the importances mm. of those kinds of things. The the fact that, uh, yeah, the fact that it holds up still, and it's kind of. It moves quickly, I would say. I, yeah, it, it definitely moves. It moves a little quicker than I expected. Um, it's definitely not what I expected. Um, I didn't expect a fucking um, uh, everything in the studio sort of thing. Hmm. Um, I definitely expected more grand scenery. Uh, maybe I'm thinking more or uh, connecting it more, or just w- whatever with Gone with the Wind. Um, I, 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 yeah. I haven't seen that either, but in, in my mind, both of those are like, you know, sort of sweeping, uh, cinematic epics. And yeah. this was, you know, Academy 35 and everything on a stage and, right. uh, you know, the, uh, the ending plane sequence that is so iconic is fucking just a soundstage covered in fucking smoke. <laughs> like, right. Disgustingly. So yeah. supposedly that one shot though was shot on Van Nuys airport. Mm-hmm. Oh really? It's like it actually wasn't the stage. Literally the only shot that was not in the stage, <laughs> and no reason whatsoever. They totally could have filled the stage with smoke and fucking. Yeah, that was ridiculous. And supposedly one of the reasons they used so much smoke was because the plane looked so shitty. Oh, you gotcha. had to cover it up. Right mm. on. Uh, yeah, I thought um, uh, one of the other big surprises. Well, uh, it's just uh, like uh, the the years that it was made. So I, I definitely thought this was more of a. Um, like look back than it was like a contemporary sort of movie, but I didn't realize it was like so in the moment. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I, just to get back to my first impressions, I, this is the first time I've seen this movie. First time you've seen it too, Shelfa, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, I, I didn't actually. Th- I do agree. I think it does hold up. I mean, for a, a movie from 1942, for sure. Like it's that's, a stage play, but it's an interesting stage play. Right. It, it definitely feels play e. Yeah. You know, the characters kind of coming in and out of this one kind of location. But I love the location. I mean, even though it was very stagey, the the Ricks uh, or the Cafe American, whatever, yeah, yeah. was pretty cool. I mean, I liked. I I liked the look of it. I thought the production design was nice. I mean, it was kind of interesting. It kept it kind of. 
I mean, even though it was, like I said, it was very obvious, even when they were out in the streets in Morocco, it was very obvious, but yeah. Yeah. Still, they made an effort. That was I like uh that was like on the lot. That was the French Street, apparently. Hmm. Uh in Warner, Warner Brothers. Right yeah. Yes, yeah, so so. it was all Warner, right? So it's all pretty much all Warner. Yeah. It looks a lot like the Universal, which is all just the same anyways. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did enjoy. I did get a little cheesed out at moments. I thought it was a little too romantic for E for my taste. But I get it. I get what it was doing. And in some senses, I bet it was one of the first. I mean, I don't know how many romantic comedies came before this, but it seemed like it was kind of... Would you classify it as romantic comedy? No, not romantic comedy. But There rom- were some laughs, but, but it, I wouldn't put it in comedy. It was... It did have a lot of laughs, for sure. Like, more than I thought it would have. It did definitely, have a lot of Definitely know, more than I thought, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for sure, it's not a romantic comedy. It's, well, since we're getting into this, it is considered one of the most, like, iconic romances of all time do you guys certainly see that romance in it? yeah or, but i just don't know that it's comedy actually right fits there but i mean do you guys think that it should be up there based upon the things that you saw or oh, as far as like being a romeo and juliet sort of yeah, like, yeah. fucking i mean the outline of the story is very sort of you know classic but um i mean you know there's that like sort of uh uh uh, flashback sequence of them actually in Paris and like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like people going through the motions of being in love. I mean, especially mm-hmm. compared to like today's cinema. Um, but I mean, if for being stage play esque, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a love story. Mm. Mm. Joey, do I, do I buy it as a love story? I guess. Do, do you buy it as one of the top like love stories told in film? I do, but obviously I did not know that she was married. That definitely changes. Spoiler alert. Well, <laughs> it changes the dynamic. When I thought when I thought about this movie in some sort of lofty version in my brain, I thought oh, it was, yeah. you know, he meets her and they fall mm-hmm. in love. I didn't realize that. You didn't think it would be as sorted? It's more complicated. More complicated. Yeah. And I think it's actually kind of good in many oh, totally. ways. It was more nuanced. It was interesting because they did fall in love originally in Paris and then they kind of reconnected in Casablanca. Yeah. But I do think. You know, I thought, I don't know, it was more mature and than I thought. I thought it was going to be the traditional, like I said, man, man meets girl, they fall in love, blah, blah, blah. I did oh, think it was going to be a little more cookie cutter than it ended yeah, up being. Yeah, so it wasn't quite as romancy as I thought it would be, but it was more True. looking back. It was a very nostalgic movie in itself. Mm. Like look, Even in a movie, it was looking back on 1940. So it was like 1941, looking back 1940, constantly in Paris. So... It was interesting, the whole idea of it. I mean, and even, obviously, we can talk about this later, but, the, you know, the movie, this, the music was all about memory, you know, realizing how nice it used to mm-hmm. be kind of thing and, oh, shitty, how shitty it is right now in the middle of the war. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then time-wise, when it was made, too, uh, there's kind of there's kind of a whole interplay. I mean, I know we need to get into the story, so let me just, uh, let me just, we, we're basically talking we're about talking the story, about so right. let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and, uh, so basically, um, there's this whole trail. It's about the trail to Lisbon, basically, that they had to go through and to go kind of this roundabout way. Uh, Casablanca would be their last stop. They would need to get uh, they would need to get basically visas to then go to Lisbon and then get into America from there. Um, I want to be in America. So, and yeah. they did kind of explain it a little bit. And in they the explained beginning. it in the beginning a little yeah. bit. And then after that, um, basically, there's. A couple of German couriers that are found dead and some stolen documents that we find later uh, to be letters of transit, uh, which find their way into basically Rick's life. 
Uh, Rick is the owner of this cafe named appropriately Rick's uh, in Casablanca. And uh, he's kind of a guy who doesn't stick. Well, he says he doesn't stick out his neck for anybody, you know, kind of. Let him shelf. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of this guy who's neutral, very he's neutral. America. He was America at the time it was written, yeah. And, uh, but not the time it was made. Or released. Which is, yeah. Actually, no, not the time it was made, right? Because it came out. It, that's why, it, like, in the middle of the 42. movie, I asked when uh, yeah. fucking uh, okay, Pearl yeah, Harbor so it was. It came out in 42. Mm-hmm. It released November 26, 1942. Yeah. And, and when and it was, was Pearl Harbor? December 7, 1941. Yes. So, so uh, which we'll get into in just a second. But basically, Rick, Rick is basically given these letters of transit. Uh, and then um, he's got two of them. And then an old flame of his reenters his life along with uh, this Laszlo character that the Germans are after. The Germans are not actually occupying uh, Morocco at the time, which uh, a few people on IMDb in the reviews got incorrect. Hmm. Uh, they had said like, oh, well, the Germans aren't, you know, it's like a fact, boy, did they get wrong. Yeah, so right. clearly they're not occupying it. They're just influencing it in the mm-hmm. film. Uh, and they want this Laszlo guy finally, and they don't want him, him to make it to America. And that's kind of basically the setup for what is the romance. Hijinks and Sue. Hijinks and Sue. Uh, yeah, so the interesting thing about the fact, because you mentioned that actually Laszlo and, uh, and the love interest. Ilsa. Are, yeah, and Ilsa, they're, they're actually married. Right. Um, and Would Rick, like of course. The snowman? Rick, of course, and Ilsa had a. Um, had a relationship prior to this um, when they were in Paris. Um, and then there's a scene kind of, you know, where um, kind of near the, near the end there. And uh, it was kind of the scene where you expect for them to have slept together. Yes. And apparently it is important that you know that they did not because this was actually a point of contention from the people who, because it was a stage play called, uh, I think, Eat at Rick's or something like that. Not Eat at Rick's. Stay at Rick's, like, uh, about Rick's. Everybody comes to Rick's. Everybody comes to Rick's. That's mm. the one. Yeah, so it was a stage play that was Makes written well before, like, uh, like I guess a few years before yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, America ended up taking part in World War II. Um, and they had looked into getting it produced um as as like a play but one of the implications that the person i guess wanted in it was that basically she had slept with rick to get the letters of transit and they refused to do it for that and they refused to do that so then they sold it to warner so Clearly, the creators of it didn't want that implied, and mm. so I think that that's probably the reason why it's kind of like you vague-ish. kind of it's vagueish, but then it seems like, judging by the fact that they're just been talking, yeah, that it and they're didn't still happen. like fully in suits, and right? Shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but they I thought do that kiss, was interesting. Though. They, they do. do kiss. They, yeah, yeah, a kiss and a fade to blackout is like cinematic language for fucking, but like to then come back in them being in full clothing is yeah. like a weird sort of juxtaposition right. that fucking it basically says they weren't fucking to me. Right, right, right. Well, they cut away to these weird shots of it looks like a lighthouse or something. I forget what it is. 
it looks like a lighthouse. And then they cut back and then they're, she's on the couch and he's like standing up and they're fully clothed, like you said. So it looks like nothing happened. Uh, it is weird though. It's just a strange sequence. Yeah. It's just awkward. But I, I, I you understand. You expect like the naked gun train going into the tunnel and fucking, yeah. <laughs> I did, or the rocket ship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought it was, it was still tasteful. I know, even though it was a little weird, it was a tasteful movie. It was just a little bit overly, like a few conversations were just like tripled up. They're like they did like in double or triplicate, like conversations that could kind of probably take place, like they could have doubled up. You know what I'm saying? Are you saying it happened multiple times in the movie or each conversation was just too long and they kept circling back on info? Yeah, that second one. Right. And they could have probably combine them into a little bit of it to make it a little bit of faster pace mm. but then again that's the style of the movie it was just like building and building and building lots of tension and even at the end you guys heard me say i was like you know come on get on the fucking plane already the nazis <laughs> are chasing you and you're like taking your sweet ass time and like talking about the memories and like uh yeah you're gonna die like get yeah. on the fucking plane so it was a little bit annoying to me in that sense but i get it I, you know they're trying to draw it every little moment right right uh, let's talk about the acting for a second. Um, what do you think of Humphrey Bogart? He's Humphrey Bogart. I've never seen everything. I don't think in. another Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, like that's this. as much as I but know. It's, but he's good. He's always good. He's really good. He's, he's a great good. actor. Yeah. Like I really liked him. Every line was pretty damn believable. He's and I thought he wasn't like overly cheesy. Like, obviously, he had his catchphrase, yeah. which he said. Four times yeah, a weekend, right. obviously. But he still did it well, and I don't know. He pulled it off. I thought he did a good job. I, I don't know that I'd call it believable. Um, okay. I like, I, I mean, it was a fun performance, I think, and yeah. it was, like, enjoyable. Do you think but it was over still the very, top? Well, it's just very stagey to me. It's all a very, like, all of the acting to me was very stage play. Right. Like, there were very pronounced characters, and everyone had, like, their own speech pattern, and everyone had, like, their own accent. Like, I, you know, you really get the feeling that it's, like, a cosmopolitan sort of city where, like, people are coming from all over the world. The problem is that the French guy had a British accent, and, like, you know, weird things like that kind of threw me a bit. Mm. But like, the, you know, just the idea that there's, you know, kind of this cacophony of different sort of uh, uh, languages kind of rolling around there just gave it, I don't know, um, it, it gave it some validity, but they're fucking like, they're just so caricature-ish, uh, especially like Peter Lorre, like, you know, mm. that is just like, as soon as he starts opening his mouth, that is like not the way any human speaks. But Or his eyes. Exactly. Yeah. I My mean, he's God. just like, well, he is the embodiment of <laughs> yeah. creepy fucking he's, weird dude. He's unlike but. any other human. Like he's Peter Lorre. Yeah. You can't like, you can't put him in a movie because like, he's just, yeah, he's like too obvious. Like, yeah. But he's, he's good. He's, just, he's actually kind of a little bit well, actually, I, he, I guess he is still kind of like a rat because it's after the money. But, but I mean, he's not quite—he's not quite cast as his normal type here, I guess. What do you because, think? well, I mean, like M, in M, he's like a serial killer. So, I, you know, that was kind of the type <laughs> that yeah, he would fit in. You know, he's a little—he's not a serial killer in this, but he's a little creepy. He gets arrested, and he kind of like. You know, he he kind of he's in he's in the subterfuge. He's in the underground. He's a weasel. But do you think if he wasn't Weasley that we would we would then uh, remember him? No, not that. But just think he can't play anything. Remember, Rick doesn't really help him in that moment. So I think it's necessary that you have somebody kind of Weasley. Otherwise, Uh, someone that you don't feel empathy for. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a reverse save the cat situation. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because to, Rick does save the good people. Like he yeah. he helps them bet on the twenty two and correct, them, you know. which is actually the save the cat yeah. moment, which comes after you know murdering a cat, basically. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Essentially, but a cat that was killing um, all of your mice. I, also, or? I loved the character acting. I thought there were such yeah. great little parts. All of them were so great. It felt like a very Sorkin esque, honestly, like a West Wing or a Few Good Men yeah. or something. With like every little tiny part was like these guys obviously had stage experience. They were obviously knew their parts. And and they kind of like you, right? They just had very good choreography, and every little look was good. I thought there was a lot mm-hmm. of like good, like just like eye acting. Lots eye. of good face acting. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, ex- extra expressions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought they were really like well done. And I thought a lot of times, you guys will talk more about this later. They cut to close-ups, but I didn't need it. Like they like they could have stuck in like one mm-hmm. shot for a lot of it because the acting was pretty good. Like they could have just stuck with it, but they kept moving to these almost distracting close-ups, which I thought was like, well, we'll talk about later. But I don't know. I thought just the acting was so natural in a lot of moments, which I was surprised with, actually. It's interesting because I think think that there's only like three of the speaking parts which are actually Americans. Mm -hmm. The rest are uh, people. And one of the interesting (laughs) people who are, you know, people who are kind of not Americans. Immigrants. Right? Immigrants. Immigrants (laughs) in most of the case. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There, there's so or there's not, a non-American. There's a croupier. What is it? What is it? The person who croupier. Like, the one who no. The one who does the table, like the maitre d. The no does the, the table, like gambling tables. Oh, croupier is. Oh, it? the the craps croupier? guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's played by um, Marcel Dalio, uh-huh. who was in like a uh, uh, French actor, and he was in. Grand Illusion and Rules of the Game, which are two of the the greatest Uh, films that were ever made. Um, But he actually went through basically what this movie is about. Hmm. Um, My understanding is that he had to leave Paris and then uh, he reached Lisbon. uh, And then they were supposed to receive some transit visas. uh, And then uh, they were supposed to go to Chile. Um, but then when they got to Mexico, they realized that the, that the visas that they had were actually fake forgeries. Mm. So then they had to like wait in Mexico until they got Canadian visas, but he basically had to flee from the invading German army. So kind of a fascinating Mm. thing that, that that you got a guy in here who's basically lived through this. That's kind of. Supposedly, there's also a lot of Holocaust survivors I see here, or a lot of people mm-hmm. who fled basically Europe, you know, Hungarians <laughs> and Czech and all these people. So it was a lot of people who kind of yeah lived out their childhoods. Like really kind of ahead or, of its or, time in that regard. Childhood, current, you know? Yeah. I think one of the things that struck me the most, is, like, historically, was that, like, there was just so much prevalence and, like, acknowledgement of the concentration camps already. Like, I feel like I have been led to believe that that was something, like, we kind of stumbled across late sure. in the war and, like, didn't really know right. about. And, like, you know, oh, we kind of won the war already. And, oh, fuck, look, there's all these people locked up. Well, one, concentration camps, they didn't quite say were dead, the death camps. They we just didn't, didn't, qu- we didn't know the extent of what they were. But Is also, the- at this point, the death camps weren't quite ramped up. I thought it was oh, okay. right in kind of the 43 area. These were just like big jails or holding cells at the time. That, yeah, still horrible, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but prisoners of war more than like fucking to, an extermination yeah. plan. You got it. Right uh, but even then, it was kind of a, a, a secret. It was, I mean, okay. the, even the people in Hollywood didn't know. I'm sure Jack Warner knew, but they were kind of keeping it a secret for reasons of 
The, Politi- political reasons. The fact that they existed or the extent to which they the extent. existed? Okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of them knew, uh, oh, okay. especially the big Hollywood mucky mucks. Wow. Uh, and even Roosevelt theoretically knew. He didn't bomb the – he got a lot of criticism for that. He didn't bombing the uh, the railroads that theoretically could have prevented some of the, you know, the, the trains to Auschwitz kind of stuff. Huh. Anyways, we can talk more about that later. Well, that's – yeah, exactly. So I guess we're going right into that. Yeah, historical yeah, significance. So okay, um, I tried to transition, and well, I, did, I didn't quite get it at first. This we like, don't even have a name for the show, so our transitions are not going to be good yet. No, they're not going to be smooth. <laughs> and maybe it's better. Than, okay, so uh, 1942. It's a really interesting moment in the war because it's right when it is kind of the turning point where the Nazis mm-hmm. were kind of fucking up in Russia. They're still kind of fucking up in 41, but really when they were looking like they were about to lose. But even then, there was still 50-50. This was really the tipping point. So I can see why this movie was very kind of controversial because it was totally anti-Nazi. I mean, it, it wasn't quite out there, but you see that there was even a couple of interesting lines that were very um, subtextual. When was the play again? So the play was, uh, I'm not sure. I got to look that up. I think it was like 1940. 19- 40 or somewhere around It was around the same there. year. Adap- oh, it was adapted in 42. Okay. Oh, for 30, 38? 38. Okay. Oh, wow. So w- well before. So Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I think, I think, so I think by the time that the movie came out, it was around the time uh, there was some activity in North Africa, if I'm not mistaken, right? Almost, which is interesting because I was just looking this up because it's it's op- called Operation Torch. Okay. Um, fuck, I forgot the exact thing. I think Operation Torch was November of 42, and Casablanca literally came out in November 26, 1942. So, yeah, they were kind of making it not knowing that, well, like everyone kind of knew that. Here's the thing: is no one really knew where the where the the the, uh, the allies were going to land. They thought right. maybe it could have even been in Normandy, but they, you know, they or even in in Italy or North Africa, and they weren't sure. Um, but they weren't going to do it. They were going to try North Africa first, theoretically, as like the training ground, and then they would eventually do Sicily and then Italy. They, and, and Churchill called it the underbelly of Europe, like the soft mm. underbelly, meaning that Normandy at that point in Calais, you know, the the the, the the po- the ports near um near the English Channel were really fucking you know fortified. They were almost impossible to get through. So they were trying to kind of go through the Mediterranean Sea. Anyway, so they kind of knew it was going to come to North Africa. So everyone mm-hmm. kind of knew. So it was interesting that they kind of predicted it. And even in the end, some of these shots, I just love the way. Honestly, it's also in the beginning too. The the way that they just use people as kind of uh, proxies for countries. You know, mm. and 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 uh, in the beginning, like you know, there was uh, the Czech guy, Laszlo. You know, the the husband of Ilsa. Mm-hmm. He was Czech, and he stood up to the Nazis, kind of like saying, like you know, fuck you, like you know, we're not in Europe anymore. I don't have to pretend to you anymore. Uh, in the beginning, I don't know if you know if you caught this in the when the Nazis first came at the airport, the Italian guy tried to get his attention. And the Nazi guy just walked past him. Yeah. And it was so funny. It's exactly like what actually happened in North Africa. Like the the Italians kind of like had shitty equipment and the Nazis ignored them and they all got like routed and stuff. Did you have mm-hmm. any sort of foreknowledge of the allegorical nature of the characters in this movie? Or did you just pick up on that because of your history knowledge? I picked up on it. I didn't realize it was that out there in the open, but yeah. I- yeah, I mean, yeah, because I had heard like you know just through random film knowledge that like there was a a tie between the the two, gotcha. but I always just kind of assumed that was more of like 
you know, random fan theory, but like watching it, it's mm. pretty fucking overt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that the way, the, honestly, the line that you that you mentioned, Derek, that you probably have written down, yeah. was really cool in the sense that it kind of like definitely spoke to the U.S. and <laughs> the audience. And correct, you wanted to tell the line. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> well, I'll set up. But basically, this guy's come in and he wants to buy Rick's. Um, I forget what the character's name is, but he he like owns the Blue Parrot or yeah, something. Yeah. Another the another other bar, bar basically. Yeah. yeah. And he wants to buy Rick's cafe, and so he's wanting to, uh, wanting to, like, have at least Sam play. And so as they're walking over, he's explaining to Rick about his kind of adi- general attitude, and he says, uh, "In this world today, isolate a little. I'm gonna mess it up. Look at this. In this world today, isolationism is no longer a practical policy." Mm. Um, and so, and and the. The, what country do you think he was representing? Who? The guy that was saying that line. The other bar owner. Like, he's, he's addressing yeah. America directly. If I, had to put like, a, no, and, if I I guess I would say the UK. Mm. And he was saying to America, it's time to join. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if that's for sure. It might be the US telling another guy from the US. Right. This is the guy with the Fez, right? No, uh, this was the older dude. No, you, he might have had pretty a sure it was. I'm uh, pretty sure the, everyone at the Blue Parrot was wearing Fezes. But, yeah, uh, he was. Um, he may have had an older dude. He might have he taken might have his fez off. Yeah, like I was just wondering if that white, had any like. He had like white. He was always wearing yeah. white. Yeah. What, uh, I guess where's the fez from? Is there any connection there? It's just. What do you mean? The the hat, the fez is that Shriner? With any, a Shriner, right, maybe. Where's the Shriner? Like, is Shriner synonymous with any sort of like na- nation or culture, or I is it just white dudes? Is it like? No, no, fez is, is just local to that region, right? It's just what region. North Africa, I think. Is that is that the local Pretty of sure. Castle Monka, the Fez? Well, that I think so. Like a- <laughs> no, no, no. It's not just that. The official Casablanca very- Fez. Oh, I think it is. Okay. So it is named after the city of its origins, Moroccan city, Fez. Oh, well. Like, yeah. Okay. So it's the Morocco hat. It is pretty much local. I bet it's you know expanded, but I think it is originally from- Ah, so oh. he's definitely from the UK because he's trying to blend into society oh, there. Oh, yeah. That, that would make sense. sense. Um <laughs> Steal their, steal their culture. Yeah, so, yeah. It's imperialism. No, so, so um, I, the interesting thing is, yeah, okay, so it's set, like, it's set in December of 41, which is the same time of Pearl Harbor, right? Yeah. So, and, and when this came out, they were aware of that. This is principal photography, I didn't think, even began until May 42. Yeah, exactly. So oh, well. they Shot were yeah, so clearly they, yeah. aware of this coincidence yeah so in in a way then it is because no there's no mention of pearl harbor in it yeah so it seemingly is before that event yeah i would say so it has to be the kind of the very beginning of december clearly um do you do you think that how do you do you think that the way that um rick's character is treated is that he should always be trying to save people or that he's right in kind of what he does being kind of this passive person. When you say treated, does do the, you mean by the other characters the movie, or by the movie? Does the movie judge him? Mm. Do you feel like the movie judges well, him? Well, I think do, the question is, does he change towards the end? Oh no, he certainly changes. That's not a question. Well, how do, he makes do maybe, a choice, but he, oh, but does he actually change? Is does he actually yeah, change? I, I think so. I like, know. I mean, either I, I 
I think the arc is more of the hero's journey, kind of like returning back to the way he was. Um, you know, it seems like when they, you don't really see it, but she kind of implies that when they were in Paris, he was like more of a freedom fighter-y type dude that was like, hmm. you know, kind of like in it. And now that he's kind of like, you know, retired or something, True. she's, you know, the kind of lost respect for him. Yeah, I know. I do think so. I think he, in the beginning, he's more selfish. He says, you know, I'm yeah. only in it for myself. He's the playboy. He's, club. The, Han Solo. he's the club owner. Yeah, he's Han Solo. And then, he, yeah, exactly. And he comes back and he's like, oh, you know what? You know, let's let's blow this thing and kid and go home. And I think he does. He comes back and he let, he, he makes sure that Laszlo and uh, Ilsa get on the plane. And he risks, you know, he shoots the yeah. fucking Nazi. He risks everything. He could. Yeah, hey, that is a could, change. I mean, he fucking. He's going to he the goes, Concentration camp, I think. Yeah, he goes from being totally neutral to risking everything. So I think that's good. I think he he chooses a side. And at the end, he goes arm in arm with the free French guy, with the you know, the French forces guy. So he's like saying, Yeah, I've made my choice. I'm going to join the Allies, which is kind of interesting. Because like, yeah, like in 42, here's the thing. So it's like after so so after the Japanese attacked in in December of 41, obviously we you know, declared war on Japan. But what happened was right after, you know, Nazi Germany declared war on us. So we mm. were at war with them, but theoretically we didn't do anything yet. It was still just mm. all, well, it was Atlantic warfare, submarine yeah, yeah. stuff, you know, shooting some merchant Marines, which was horrible and stuff, but it wasn't all out warfare yet. So this was kind of in that no man's land before mm. we landed in North Africa or Europe. Do you think we truly connected the two as a nation or is it more like today where like, you know, we're fighting in Afghanistan and we're fighting in Syria, but like- Connect, I'm sorry, connected what to? Like uh, uh, Germany and Japan. Like, did we did we see them as the same enemy at the time? So. Or is that so. more of a historical- No, I don't think so. Lens? Especially because we were very German at the time. There was a lot of German sympathies. Mm-hmm. So don't forget, this was Charles Lindbergh, the America First Committee. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people were German. Like, I'm still today, like 30% of this country has got German heritage. I'm at so least 30% lo- German. <laughs> exactly. So the, <laughs> the point is, there's a lot of that sentiment that they didn't feel like that. And at that time, obviously, even the Democrats- FDR included, were anti-Japanese, mm-hmm. really racist. I mean, still racist towards everything, but racist towards the Japanese with the internment camp. So we obviously saw that Japanese were more the other, and mm-hmm. Europe was... There's a reason why we probably tested the nukes on J- J- Japan and not um, Germany. I think it's partly racism, for Man. sure. Well, uh, speaking of the other, what do you ahead. guys think we would do if we were to cast it today? Hmm. Yeah, I was... Okay. See, Let's there's see. a transition. Joey. Good job. Well done. So yeah, <laughs> like, you pointed out. So you're really, now we gotta. I, I now to we gotta think it about it. <laughs> yeah, casting it today. Um, um, yeah, I definitely. I uh, maybe just because I recently saw the Mule, but uh, for some reason I see uh, Clint Eastwood pulling off the Rick character. Too old. Too dude. old. Too old. Way too old. You th- I don't Rick's know. Forties or maybe. Really? He's so, young. He's got all so of this nice He's there. like old and wrinkly, especially no. when he's like holding her in France. That's just old because like, he's been smoking a lot. He, that's that's so 40s young. then Ilsa would be a real kid? Ilsa would be 11 from fucking uh, Stranger Things. What? <laughs> why do you got to do this? Why, why even ask him? Derek, what um, do you think? Yeah. Who would you cast for Humphrey Bogart's role? Um, well, let's start with the obvious decision here, which is, Instead of Peter Lorre, we're getting that. You, Lorre. No, 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 no. We'll get, we got two choices. Mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah, That's Buscemi's what I was going with. Or, or Rami Malek. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I was the also thinking. Uh, Remy's yeah. got the look. I don't know that he's got the fucking. I think he could do it. He I, could do it. He I could do it with the kind of uh, 
That's yeah. true. He, I, could, I he can do that lost Bohemian look. Rhapsody. I think he yeah, can do the lost look yeah, real yeah. well too. True that. Like yeah. drugged up lost look kind Very of thing. Very much so. I think you got the eyes down. You got yeah. that down. Um, yeah. Who could play Ilsa? Who do we have as our leading lady? Who's who's Ingrid? In- this hundred percent Emma Stone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not Emma Watson. It's not horrible. Not horrible. Emma cast, Watson. Though. Emma Watson. They probably Emma Watson would be. But she, she got to be like overacting. This it's like she's like so dra- overly dramatic and yeah. stuff. Oh, Emma can yeah. do that. <laughs> Any any actress named Emma could pull it off, really. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe um, uh, what's his name? Amy Adams could do this. Mm. I like an Amy okay. Adams. Yeah, she seems more subdued than yeah. fucking Emma okay. Watson. Oh, what's her name from uh, Les Mis? Uh, Anne Hathaway could do it. <laughs> Isn't she a little old at this point? Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, we are going with Quinn Eastwood. And then that, that Perry <laughs> works. Out. We're not using him. Still, that's creepy. Eastwood. Mr. Yes. Eastwood. Right. Well, we didn't really talk about it. What do you think of Ingrid uh, Bergman? What do you think of her in general? We didn't talk about her. She's pretty huge role here. Um. Yeah. I. I thought she was fine. Fine. She's, she's okay. She's, she's really she fuzzy. She didn't do. She didn't stir up any romantic uh, feelings. No. No. It's really, just fuzzy and weird lighting. I liked her. I thought she was good. She's got some, but the thing is they kept cutting to her close up and I've said this. She had some great moments where she was just, um, especially I thought when she was just talking with Sam, it was just her and Sam and it was just looking at her and Sam was still in the frame. Those were great when she was acting with someone, but when they would cut to her really close, it was almost like she couldn't like, they were just like random looks with her eyes and it was strange and awkward. Mm. But I thought she was really good when she was like actually just acting naturally. And she was just, has this just very... I think she's pleasant looking. She's got this like watchable smile to me. I just like her. And I think a lot of women today, and this just sounds bad, in, in the movies today are not quite the same look. I do think she's got this classic look that I think a lot of, they're not definitely casting as much today. Yeah. She's extremely photogenic, that's for sure. But um, I don't know that she's necessarily charismatically captivating. Um, mm-hmm. Again, but mm-hmm. again, this just kind of all stems from like that stage play acting that like, I just have a hard time, like, you know, um, sort of identifying with on an emotional basis. You know, I can't see any of these people as being like actual real people. These are all like caricature representations of people in my mind. I will, so, uh, I will say this, though. I did not really get a lot of chemistry between yeah. the two, Bogart mm-hmm. and Bergman. I no, did. No. Between yeah, Bergman no. and uh, whoever was playing Even uh, his Lancelot. Wa- yeah, and, his, and the in La- Laszlo yeah, and his guy. wife. No, yeah. no, nothing. Not really a lot there. Just surprisingly not a lot of love. You for the you ultimate love story of right. our fucking century. I didn't or, feel it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel the chemistry. Yeah. They were just talking at each other. Yeah. Really. What do you think, Derek? Did you, uh, about the historical significance, did you have a point to make about that? Because we're still really on that. Um. Well, I... I I I'd like to I'd like to talk about the historical significance as far as the movie goes too, right? Aside from the historical significance in in what it's about. Uh but like in cinema. Sure. Which um this is at a time in which there's still kind of um there's a lot of times in movies where somebody walks like they get out of their car, they walk to the door. They open the door. We get, like we've got all that. It's a lot of shoe. They yeah. It's ah, a time in which you. there's a lot of that. So this thing comes along, and I mean it's pretty rapidly paced when you yeah. consider something like that. 
And um, I mean, there were other there were other films at the time doing kind of the same thing. Um, but I I think that I think that it was a really it's a really good example of something that kind of did take a big step in Hollywood filmmaking back then. Um, uh, I think that it's a good example of that classic Hollywood film. Like probably the prime example right. of Hollywood filmmaking from that time. I mean, you know, of course you go on like any, I, and I think that that kind of biases us a lot about it. Um, but it also is why it should be held up in, in kind of a high regard because it, it definitely did. Like some of the stuff that's melodramatic, it seems cliche now. At the time, maybe did not. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it established that cliche and everybody's trying to emulate that. For sure. Um, you know. That's the Chaplin problem. It's just. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I actually, I think, I think you're, you're right. I, I don't know much about a, a film history, but it seems like it is a good example of that time period uh, and that studio time period. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, it is very studio looking, but the, the sound is studio sound and, and it is pretty high quality it looks in all of it and everything you know in the lighting everything the technically it is a pretty damn good movie you know and i was impressed looking reading some of the wikipedia shit the research about how they weren't really expecting this to be anything special it was just kind of like your run-of-the-mill warner brothers movie that they're just like oh, okay we're gonna make another movie and maybe it'll do well and it was just a big surprise how how much critical mm. critical acclaim it got and how much money it got yeah so Anyways, to to talk about the sound a little bit, I I did thought that the I think I think the the sound was huge here, and the music especially really drove a lot of the the plot and, and some of the emotion of really a lot of these scenes. Now, I didn't think it did too much, and I liked I liked that it kind of worked with the acting, and I think a lot of times something like this, a huge score, a big expansive score, can kind of like do too much mm-hmm. and it can yeah. and it can take the place of good acting right? yeah but i think in john this, williams wouldn't have worked here maybe you're right this is a little bit more subtle than john williams actually for yeah. sure um in it, but it did a good job i did a lot of stings i did a lot of you know non-diegetic kind of like hey this is how you should feel right now but i really honestly loved the light motifs and i want to quickly just mention light motifs if i haven't mentioned before Leitmotif is a an idea that you basically use different musical themes and you change these musical themes depending upon what's going on in it's the Peter story. And the Wolf. Peter and the Wolf, but basically it started er, honestly with Wagner and you know with his Ring trilogy. Isn't that what Peter and the Wolf is? Is it Wagner? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I forget actually. I don't think it's Wagner, mm-hmm. but you can Google it. Mm-hmm. I, I apologize. Anyways, that you know, it started with that, but and you know, continues all throughout opera in that period, and then continues even throughout John Williams and you know Howard Shore and Lord of the Rings movies. So, anyways, the point is that you know characters have different musical themes and they can change. Uh, obviously, there was a lot here. Um, the biggest one that they used was you know the the song. Uh, wow, I completely forget it was what, what was it As called? As time goes, as time by. goes by, and obviously that met, you know, symbolized all the memories and the past of France and Paris and freedom of the past without this, you know, the horrible stuff going on now. But it also did a great job of mixing in La Marseille, which is obviously the, the, the French national anthem, the Marseille. Right. So what they did really well though is that certain times you can You're change about the rap battle? <laughs> yeah, actually, at that moment, now, I'll talk about that in a second. But, but mm-hmm. even before that, they used little pieces of La Marseille mm-hmm. and little th- snippets of it. Just to introduce individuals. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, this is also what we would, you know, you'd call um, 
an overture. And so they did it in the beginning a little bit, but but also it was really to cut it off. So at some points they could say, um, the free guy in the free French forces would basically talk about, okay, blah, 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 blah. Then all of a sudden the Nazi would come in. So they would do, 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 and cut it off. Mm. So the idea is that you cut off the musical theme halfway through, symbolizing what's going on in the story. Yeah, so yeah. maybe if someone dies, their theme gets cut off in the middle or whatever. You know, the point is that the Nazis invaded and they changed the musical theme. So they did this a lot, and I really liked that. It was really classy and they did it in a really subtle way and it you know it helped kind of sell the transitions along and really you know but even i think back then it's okay to kind of telegraph things and and it, that was the style sometimes it gets a little bit much it gets a little bit like hey this is how you should feel mm. but uh, i think in this sense it, it did a it did a good job riding that that line yeah, I thought it was appropriate. Like, I didn't think that the music was overbearing. Uh, there was, like, a good amount of, you know, just letting a musical number roll as well. Like, Sam playing the piano and sure. like, going off on a fucking, like... And that was great, too, the the diegetical, the yeah, diegetic yeah. elements of the sound. was, and, and also just Sam's playing and sense. So there was probably a few songs in the beginning I didn't quite catch that Sam was playing. Mm. And those probably had symbolic meanings. But it also was great to kind of use as a, an element for secrecy. So they could kind of, as background sound, increase or decrease it depending upon how loud they wanted the certain conversations to be. You know, there yeah. was a few conversations between, uh, you know, one of the Free French Forces guys and Laszlo, and, mm. they, and they had to kind of turn the music down a little bit yeah. to kind of let this whispering get above it in the noise floor as far as that. So they used it kind of as an element of secrecy. I thought it was well done. It was classy. Oh, totally. And there's they, they use sound on a lot of levels here. Like they went even so far as like making sound, making a song specifically a plot point like the you know their uh, their memory of france was around that one you know song that right. they just you know either shared a moment to or whatever and i thought that was like actually a nice moment that they never actually explained it like that that song had a meaning to them and that's all we needed to know it almost felt like a uh, david mamet sort of move like you know we got to get the thing yeah, up to the and i like that they even give us some moments where it was it was a good like 10 seconds or so where it was just looking at Ingrid Bergman kind of just with all the uh, visine in her eyes. Yeah, a really beautiful <laughs> shot with just the with Sam playing the song by herself. Her getting into it, teary eyed. Mm. Uh, it was a nice moment to kind of just introduce you to this song. Obviously, it was overly cheesy and you know melodramatic, yeah. but it was good. I I, I like that. They Sing just, it, Sam. They they give you a moment <laughs> to just appreciate music. That's that's a nice. You don't really see that much anymore. So I thought like that a lot. Um, Say the words. What did you think, Derek? Uh, how do you feel about the musical choices here and the uh, the way they use it? It was fine. There were some interesting kind of transitions that they made. I remember one that was kind of where um, he was basically having his kind of dream sequence slash memory sequence. Mm -hmm. And then he knocks over a glass while Sam is one. playing. Yeah. And then it kind of cuts the music in kind of a a little bit of an odd off-putting way. Um, in a, because you're kind of like, kind of like, uh, it seems like it just stops, right? And then Sam comes in and cleans up the yeah, table, yeah. and then and then you get that kind of resolution. But there's that beat mm. in there, yeah. Where I mean, you're the, just kind of like the spilling like of the champagne. Mm -hmm. I love the spilling of the champagne because it symbolizes, you know, oh, the end of partying, you know. <laughs> and also, champagne, the place in France that was literally probably invaded, you know, at the point, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was nice, and and I also wanted. There was another moment. I think it was like fifty one oh two. There was another good time code there you could check out where it changes from like these minor strings from German to French, you know. So we get the La Marseille in there too. There's a lot of good transitions. I just thought it was like it was smooth, and you know, you might not catch it, but if you do catch it, it's an extra layer, you know, that you can yeah. kind of absorb and appreciate. It was nice. Yeah. 
especially considering the way sound would have been edited back then. The the right. rap battle I find amazing. The the sort of mixing between the two songs, like it wasn't like it, it they were like syncopated, like they they worked well together, and there was like a good like transition. And I don't know, is that like it? Is that a live jazz musician sort of thing, or is that? Do you think that's more of like a studio thing of like line, uh, just the way that like those two songs like merged together and then like one took over the other? I think it just maybe happenstance, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it could be, you know, that they they picked a certain German tune for a certain reason to match up with all the Marseille. The Obviously, oh, yeah. they were definitely going to have the Marseille. That was, I'm sure, that was in the script. Right the question was, I don't know how exact the German tune was in the script. I have to look. Mm. But they could have picked a few. There's, I'm sure there's ton and maybe they picked one that was you know similar you know beats per minute or similar to similar key and it kind of fit well when they crossfaded them and fit well but you know it it, it was just you know maybe it's or maybe it was for symbolically saying that french and germany aren't so far apart and they're kind of two cultures right next to each other you know i don't know i'm digging too deep that have been warring for thousands of years yeah it's possible but i think that it's uh it was a nice moment and and you don't see that a lot anyway where where nowadays anyone's interrupting each other or yeah. just competing anything as far as the right. sound. It's always one sound. Here's another sound. We don't mm-hmm. want to overwhelm you. Careful. There's no competing dialogue. We can't interrupt each other. Yeah. But you go back in the day to these movies and there's competing dialogue and there's so many different sounds going Altman. on. Altman yeah, used to do that stuff, stuff all the time. And that's nice. They don't, you know, they don't treat you like you're a baby. And they, right. they, they that's the rules are just so ingrained these days that like back then they would, they, the rules didn't really exist. They were just, doing shit yeah yeah all right um so did you uh let's move on from sound sounds cool but yeah who cares <laughs> everyone's bored already i guess i should talk about some visuals there yeah um you know to me the the biggest thing that just pops out visually in general is the use of shadows so the entire uh, like uh one of the opening uh sort of scenes i don't know if i got the time code yeah uh somewhere around 18 minutes into this thing uh uh rick is being followed by one of the other guys and he goes morty is it morty and no goes, no it's oh, oh, oh rick and morty it's not rick and morty i had a train of thought <laughs> is it, it morty on, man oh fuck <laughs> like this, this is the time period when someone would have been named morty <laughs> fuck you um, <laughs> But he's, uh, he goes over to like a cabinet or something and like we stay on the dude that's following him and we don't actually go over to Rick. We just see the shadow of Rick and the shadow of the cabinet opening and the thing that he gets out of it. And it's just kind of like a very cool little way of like, you know, kind of showing his things or keeping things a little bit hidden, but keeping things like still uh, moving and still interesting. Um, there was a lot of fucking shadows I just noticed in the in the background in general. There was like a lot of, you know, what you call branch loris, uh, just, you know, a light a tree in front of a light to like make some leave shadows in the mm. background and like a lot of use of like blind shadows and shit like that. And there was, it, it, the shadows played into the characters a lot as well. So like there was uh, some moments where we were on, um, uh, what the hell is the leading lady's name again? Um, uh, Ilsa. Ilsa. So we were on Ilsa in like close-ups and then we would go to like a sort of kind of a half over the shoulder, like a three-quarter shot mm-hmm. on her and she would turn her face and yeah. like from the frontal shot, she's in like, you know, full on like newscaster, full, you know, bright light. Right. And then she turns her face and she's in like half shadow and half light. And you can like, just kind of like see them playing with like the shadows and like her emotion there. Like when she turned her face, like it was a moment where she was like a little ashamed and like a little like hiding and there was just kind of like a lot of that play more so i saw on her than any of the other characters they played a lot with like 
lighting her and fucking oh god the 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 over diffused fucking classic female uh <laughs> shot yeah, is just right. ridiculous like you would have this like crisp wide shot and then it would cut into this you know big close up of her and it was just fuzzy as fuck like you know they had mm-hmm. either gauze the lens or just a huge diffusion filter but like you know that was the style at the time just right. with the the old actresses making i should she wasn't old at the time but the old school actresses i should say trying to make them as like wrinkle free and glowing as possible like you know she would have this like super butterfly lighting that was you know directly above her very bright and then you'd see the guy that she was with and he's like half in the shadows and like half i have a question is it supposed to be a point of view shot like you are humphrey bogart looking at her oh my god she's an angel I don't think there was no. anything that was specifically a point of it's view just, shot. It's just that's how they light her for every yeah, time it, she's yeah. in a close-up. That was really the, just the style of the time. Like, we, this was the star system. This was, you know, people, if you had an actress in your movie that had a name, you damn well made her look as beautiful and glamorous right. as possible in sense. every close-up because that's what they were, like, really being judged by for the most part. So it was okay at that time for the close-up to look completely different than the fucking wide shot just because, you know, ooh, she looks pretty. I also was reading, I didn't realize this at first, I I noticed it in the movie, that you can't really see her right side. Mm -hmm. They definitely tried to favor- Is there a Tina Fey thing going on there? Well, I don't know, but they definitely tried to favor her left side. And that's why I did see this in the Wikipedia here. So I guess she just had a better side that she preferred, and it was her left side. That that was her preference, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a big, like, you know, you will see, uh, it's almost a Hollywood cliche, is like, get my good side. Like that, that's where this stuff stems from, is like these Hollywood starlets that like, you know, we're convinced that there was one side that was better than the other. And do you I think mean, they crossed the line for any reason because of it? Um, crossed the line. I don't know. I'm just you're talking the 180 degree line or yeah. just like the, uh, because oh. they had to show that certain side. Uh, I, it looks like they, they did it almost all in blocking. So okay. they, they yeah. put her on the right side to shoot. Yeah, And, for you, and you even that. noticed the moment where she kind of walked and you saw her right side, but it was yeah, in shadow. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. was kind of a fascinating. Yeah, they, like, they once you even... pointed out like halfway through the movie that they didn't, sh- they would yeah. never show her right side. I started really thinking back and looking for it. Yeah. And yeah, it was very consistent. Like when you did see her right side, it was in shadow and it was like not as visible. And it was like a, a wider shot that was further away. So yeah, e- either, you know, she was completely convinced that she had a better side or the, you know, cinematographers were, or someone was, but that, I mean, that was a very common thing in that, you know, I think that is something that we don't consider as much as we possibly should these days. Um, mm. You know, if you've ever seen those like uh, those studies on people that like look at uh, the pictures of Abe Lincoln forward and backwards, like when you look at uh, when you reverse the image of Abe Lincoln, he looks like a very different person. And, you know, if you take a looking at yourself in the mirror versus looking at yourself in an iPhone, you have a little bit different perspective of like right. seeing that mirror image versus seeing the actual image of yourself. Yeah. And it does actually change the way that people tend to perceive things. Um, you know, even with like that Lincoln study with one way he felt, he felt like comforting and like a grandfather and the other way people thought he looked evil. So like, mm. you know, it does, there is, there is a lot of psychology in there. I don't know how just up in their own heads these actresses were or, you know, how, just, you know, demanding they wanted to be, you know, only red Skittles sort of bullshit. But, you know, it, the, that was standard status quo. It's interesting you guys brought up the line because I don't, there may have been an instance of it before, but this is the first time I've ever n- noticed 
first movie from that time that I've noticed this in, they actually do kind of a line cross, but it's through a doorway, mm. which is like now an established thing that oh, you yeah, can yeah. do. Um, but at that time, I don't think it was. Well, so because things think, were so much more stagey then, like mm-hmm. that third wall or that fourth wall was literally just missing. So the easiest thing to do was to not cross the line. Right, right, right. What did you think of the camera movements? Um, I I liked. There was a uh, lot of those dolly yeah, pushes. Like, that, yeah, they like, did have a lot of that. I've seen like recreations or like homages to those things, and I always thought they were like super cheesy, just like horribly done. And then after seeing these, they were a lot dead on. Like the, you know, the speed that a lot of these dolly pushins were going at just felt awkward to me. Like that one mm. classic one at the end where they're on the fucking tarmac and the airplanes are behind them and there's this like dolly like into them. It's so like awkward <coughs> and fast for that moment. I don't, yeah, I, yeah I, did, I, I assumed everyone was stupid, but apparently the movie is just not what no. I thought. There was, I, and I was kind of actually confused and you can enlighten me a little bit because they seem like they did them for different motivations. Mm-hmm. Like there was one moment where um, where there was three of them, like like there was Humphrey Bogart and uh, Elsa, and they were taking an order from a dude or someone like a like guy from the casino, or whatever the fuck it was, and uh, and he left, and so it was like this three shot where they had all three of them in him, like a medium shot, and then he left, and then the dolly pushed in on them both, just, mm-hmm. so it was kind of just like okay, three dudes, one dude leaves, push in on two of them. It was mm-hmm. kind of like utilitarian or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they would do them sometimes for like seemed like stylistic reasons, where yeah. it was just like hey, you know, we're gonna push in because this is an important moment, yeah. and you want to really mm-hmm. focus on this. Moment. So it was kind of like a little confused at the usage of it, uh, but maybe it was just you know for both. Yeah, yeah I, I, guess I think right. I think a dolly. Like I don't necessarily. That's the one thing I think people get too locked in and in on in just general language of cinema. I think people get too definitional. Like yeah. red means this, and a dolly means sure. this. Like, you know, it's kind of how you use it. And as long as you're consistent with the way that you use it, I think that's the language that you create within that movie. Well, that's what I mean. It didn't seem consistent to me in this movie because it seemed like one was pushed in for a certain reason, one was pushed in for another reason. Yeah, and I think you can do that. That's okay. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't know that it was necessarily, like, you understood both of those meanings. I don't, I didn't like the way that they were actually executed. But, but they I, just worked. Yeah, yeah. I understood what they were doing or why yeah. they were doing. Yeah, that. I buy. I think you're right. I think honestly, just like moment to moment. If it works in the moment, it works. Exactly. Yeah, unless it's like too. And even I mean, in, yeah, it's okay. still like a, basically the whole thing back then. Everything was an experiment yeah. in a sense because you're working at a time in which things. Yeah, are I mean, not cameras so were well just getting small enough to put on a dolly at that point. Like no one. Yeah. It is such a. We to forget how new filmmaking was yeah with even with how for reason with sound how i don't know when was the first talkie i forget um Jolson 30s is 1920s i think 21 is that like, true i i'm bad with dates even then, that's still you're, only you're 21 like, that's yeah. still a young medium it's only 20 years old or 20, yeah. Yeah. 22 years old or something so yeah, yeah whatever i mean it's just a one of the other things I did want to bring up, well, for two things. First off, the rear projection and all the co- fucking car stuff was just, you know, right. I mean, obviously that was like the technology at the time, but like, you know, that it just kind of like screams stage play in studio. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I really kind of, that stood out to me uh, was the smoke. Um, just the characters smoking. Like I always just kind of thought like, especially being a quasi filmmaker myself, like cigarettes are a huge pain in the ass on set, like trying to keep like continuity of the length of a cigarette and trying to keep like just track of all that stuff. So I've, I've always just kind of 
not shot things with cigarettes just because I thought it was too much of a pain in the ass. But like seeing this stuff, it really helps with the depth. It gave like that, that smoke kind of rising in the foreground really just kind of helped to sell this stage that they were on. So I think that, you know, might be even like a product of the time is like, this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where like all these movies are using cigarettes because it just kind of adds this nice little cinematic element. And then that like fosters that whole. I think it also might've even had more of a bravado kind of feel because there was definitely specific moments where Bogart was lighting up a cigarette. He lit up a cigarette maybe four or five or six times at specific times in conversation. And Lori Lori specifically does the light one cigarette with another. Which I think is another like, you know, character sort of trait that seems like a rat sort of thing to do. Scavenger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And and how you light the cigarette is a big deal. Bogart was so smooth lighting it. It just shows a, you know, a virtuosity in in the bravado. And even you're right. When you see the smoke at the end, it almost is like that. That's it. It is his scene of bravado with the smoke. So I don't know. It is kind of an interesting thing and back then cigarettes were a lot not different than we view them now right we view them as cancer sticks now like yeah. they were cool sticks back then jazz know? singer was 27 27 okay yeah. so. so this is 15 years after sound was like first started right being movies yeah. I mean, this is like us now versus youtube first starting <laughs> like, i will yeah. say that sometimes what well, so quickly just mentioned a little bit more about the sound uh they didn't use a lot of sound effects but they did a few mm. and they were only on a few insert shots um a few times where he would like touch something or grab something they used a few times um and you know it was just well well placed and obviously there couldn't be a lot because it had to be done specifically you know as jack foley intended it with <laughs> actual sound machines you know real slapsticks uh, yeah real stuff real, I, so i mean i do appreciate that stuff so every little sound back then was such a more difficult effort yeah um, and i will say the dialogue itself was very good sounding i mean obviously it seemed a lot of good adr where they really knew how they were doing it they had a great system in place mm-hmm. now obviously the state the, the sound stages at warner brothers i'm sure were pretty good back in the 40s even then they well there were at, at least, least a couple of shots where i got the impression that it was at least, it was live sound uh just like there was one shot where she was like turned away i think looking in a mirror and then she like turns back and you can definitely hear that sort of proximity effect of like her turning her head and totally. closer to the mic and further away i'm not sure if that's just really good adr that's taking that into account yeah or if that's fucking there was just moments like that too mic. i totally agree there's moments like that where bogart would turn away from the you know the camera where you would theoretically say he turns away from the boom and it should sound a little bit more you know a little roomy. Distant, little, yeah. and it and it did naturally so it did seem like that was maybe part of the boom but it it did seem like a lot of ADR, but good ADR, and it wasn't very noticeable. I thought it was all very well done. It was just like again, it's just classy, like a classy, technically savvy movie. And maybe it wasn't like you know as amazing as I thought it would be, but it was just everything was pretty damn on the nose. Like you can't really complain about any moment in this movie. Did you notice all- any stupid extras in the background? <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I did it, complaining. it's just because to me, like the whole um, uh, acting style was just so kind of over right. the top from everyone that right. like a, an, a random extra doing something stupid in the background wouldn't have called did attention anything, to itself. Did anything in particular bother you? Hmm. Mm. Nothing jumps out there, no. I mean, no. all the British accents, as Sean points out, are all a little strange because mm. everyone's a Brit. Like, okay, I get it. Can you get a German accent? You can't get one German guy. can't get one French guy. Yeah. Come on. Um, I'll give you one. So 
at the very beginning of the movie, there's a guy who's having his paperwork checked. Uh, and then they say, oh, this document's false or whatever. And then he runs off and gets shot. Right. When he's running, he's running straight towards a wall. Yeah. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> can we not just, you know, position it a li- position him a little bit like he's running to a door? I got a, I got a giggle out of you, plan? and I was wondering what that was from. I was like, <laughs> what was, is the plan? That was all just the staged element of it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it, that didn't stand out to me any more than any of the other fucking him, weird ass moments. Yeah. Like, than him, like not that be, there being no blood or no squib from that. Like, he just kind of like there's a sound of a gun, and he just kind of like arches his back and falls to the ground, and we assume that there's a gun. Like, you know, they didn't even try to do anything. Uh, one stupid thing I noticed was Bogart's suit choices and, 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 and clothing choices at certain times. He, one, he wears his pants really high up. That was they, a style of the time. I know it's a style of time. But also I want to point out his tie also was really short, like extra short. Like mm. So even though his pants were really high up, his tie still didn't even reach his pants. So I thought it was also kind of interesting that like – you know, Trump says that we should have the longer the tie, the more, you know, the better you look, the you know, the, the more you can hide your fat. So uh, I thought it was funny that Bogart is like, the, you know, the anti-Trump. Yeah. You had an uh, interesting observation about the, uh, um, the insert. Uh, that one, um, uh, the, the note that we... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, the, one of my favorite shots. Like, it's, a, it's basically, it's an insert in this. Uh, she's... Basically, Ilsa wrote him a letter because she didn't make it to the train station. Uh, and it's raining. He's at the train station. Uh, Sam gives him the letter. He pulls out the letter. And so they actually are dropping like water onto the letter so it starts to run. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, usually, we don't, you don't see a whole lot of inserts that are actually kind of informed by the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of the rare ones that sticks out to you because it does, you know. And it, you don't, it, well, and furthers uh, a story. Exactly. You know, just say you don't do that because you don't do something that's destructive of a prop for an insert, usually. Right. <laughs> so like, right. Yeah. I mean, that, that takes, you know, at least foresight and dedication. And yeah. They were like, caring. Ingrid, write another letter. <laughs> we screwed the last one up. Keep writing them. Give us 10 more. You think she actually wrote that? Did they not have art department back then? No, (laughs) they, they, yeah, they probably just had her. Like, had to have the actress write the letters. That's why she gets paid, man. Yeah. Well, as much as you guys seem to have kind of liked the film, there's a few people on IMDb who did not. (laughs) Oh. Um, So we're going to bring up uh, one particular. one particular review that I... We'll definitely I, have to have I, a theme I song liked. for this eventually. Yeah. Um, Sean, you can't just... <laughs> so, so the title of this, this movie sucked. Mm. Uh, one star out of ten. Nice. Oh, no. <clears throat> I wish I could give no stars to this film, as it was so rubbish. Hmm. Uh, wonder where this person's Alabama. from. We'll, we'll, we'll get another clue as to where they're from later. Um, it was so boring, I thought I was going to cry. The film is about a man who runs a cafe in Casablanca where the film gets its title. <laughs> but instead of hot drinks, his cafe serves actual alcoholic drinks as demonstrated in several scenes where people act drunk after drinking them. Oh, Jesus. Either like a from, temperance movement guy? <laughs> either, either from a glass or the bottle. <clears throat> Paragraph number two. Oh, no. He meets a woman 
Jehovah's Witness. He meets a woman, but instead of falling in love with her husband, he falls in love with her, and they make a plan to escape together and go to Africa. Or, sorry, America. They're already in Africa. Mm. He actually said America. He just, <laughs> I screwed that one up. Uh, that's it. That's what the whole film is about. I told you it was boring. The actors look miserable except <laughs> piano player who was the man's friend who looks happy. Good point. Hold on. We need to shout out to Sam. Hold on. I want to find out the actor's name. He was really good. He's really good. Hold on. What's his name? Dooley. Yeah, that Dooley was their, Wilson. That was their total point. Dooley Wilson. Quick quick shout out, Dooley. Dooley. <laughs> Sandwiches likes you. Dooley. Oh, not, not still alive. I thought he was still alive. Not, not alive. still alive? Definitely. Um, and then, and then the last part here. It's also pretty bad to be filmed in black and white at a time when color was invented already, which just made it more boring. Hmm. I guess that's kind of true. Not sure. I don't remember when color. Film um, came out. I feel like color film was Wizard not was commercially color. used until the fifties. You're mm-hmm. you're talking about probably a movie that may have been colorized afterwards. Yeah, that makes. Supposedly this was colorized. People didn't like it. They did it in the 80s. People were pissed. Oh, really? Well, this guy should have watched it. This person should have watched it. According to a quick Google, color film has existed since the 30s. Which is correct, but it was not used in commercial filmmaking. I I heard you. Yeah, well. God. God. You could have colored it before that. Colored me mine. Done. Okay. That gone. Um. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're close though. We I mean, we're we almost there. <laughs> we're we almost there. But we should also say, like, finally, kind of our our rating of this thing, oh, right? Yeah. Our reviews and rating and and what we think about it. All right. I forgot the list. Yeah. Mm. So I don't think it's on the list. You didn't put it on the list. You left it off. Oh well, that's mm. why I forgot it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with you then, Shonva. What do you think? Um, Recommend this or not? Have we decided on a rating system? No, we have not. But okay. what do you think? <laughs> you um, could be out of any number. Yeah, yeah. It'd be I a one it, out of two. I give it a thirty out of what? Uh, exactly. Come on. <laughs> um, no, I mean to me, like it's a. Obviously, historically significant. Um, it's not something I'm going to probably ever watch again unless I like force students to watch it for some reason. Mm-hmm. But like, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd give it like six out of 10 if we're going with something like that. I mean, you know, it's it's enjoyable. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be, but it was definitely like more, um, I don't know, like it's stagey. I guess that's just my big problem with it. It's just it felt more like a play than a movie. Um, I kind of agree with most of what you say. Uh, I think that it's it's something historically historically significant. It'd be good to show to someone younger. I also think it's interesting because it's not quite the normal World War II movie. It's mm. not quite you know Saving Private Ryan, but mm. it's not you know it doesn't take place in Japan. It's not a, it's not even really a war movie. It's kind of like. Yeah, it's a war movie, but it doesn't, you know, not the traditional thing. It's so, more like Hogan Heroes. Or but you, when you think World War II, you don't think North Africa. So yeah. I think it forces you to almost learn more in some ways. You're like, North Africa, what? It's definitely one of the very few war movies that are in Africa. Yeah, how many? There's not I, very few. I mean, yeah. unless they're about Rommel or something, but there can't be that many. Oh, I guess, uh, whatever. Let's I, not yeah, talk. I can't think of any, but yeah. Patton takes place a little oh, more in Africa. Know. Whatever. Uh, the point is that it, it's a good lesson i think it's obviously 
it's a good also, I think I like the lesson about isolationism and about how you can't really just be selfish all the time, just like Humphrey Bogart's character, just like America. And, you know, sometimes you have to have allies and friends, just like the French. And and I think it, it's a good overall message, even on a macro and micro level, you know, just on a lovely, you know, look out for the people who cared for you back when you were in Paris, even if, you know, she's married to someone else now, you're still uh, going to make sure she's safe. You still care about her. So, yeah. uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart's a good, I, I, oh, a good yeah, there, role model, I basically say. There was that whole, like, King Solomon moment where he was, like, trying to decide whether or not he was going to uh, steal the woman. She asked he, him. She said, you you need to think for the both of us. Exactly. She said that. And I I, I got the, I, the, the impression I got was that he didn't make his decision until he talked to that dude. And that dude said, take her with you because, you know, I love her so much that I just want her to be safe. And right. I think that was, you know, that sort of King Solomon. Totally the baby King sort Solomon. Of, yeah. There's, uh, you know, I think that is the big turn in his character. Yes, mm. I agree. Uh, but I think in general, it doesn't quite hold up in many ways. But again, seven out of 10 or something like that, you know, someone younger could watch this. It's not too long. It's about yeah. an hour, 40 minutes. You know, you can take it. So I, w- I would we recommend it. We did stop quite a number of times. Yeah. <laughs> we took yeah. a couple of pee breaks yeah. and some coffee, coffee breaks. breaks. Keep, yeah. <laughs> true. Uh, fair enough. But you know what? We are a younger generation who has ADD. That's true. Yeah. Um, maybe one intermission and think you can deal with this one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What do you think, Derek? Did you like this one? I'll give it a 9 out of 12. <laughs> okay. um, mine's going to be out of 12. I don't know why. Um, it's 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 really good for what it is, you know? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, it is really stagey. A lot of stuff but from back then was stagey, like Ordet, a stage play that's filmed, basically. Um, so, uh, still, again, I think that one of the things that had not happened yet uh, was there was not as much of a differentiation between what cinema was and what uh, the stage actually was. Totally. Right. So I think that that's the reason why you get a lot of these kinds well, of Well, I just looked it up, and Citizen Kane was 1941, so your point is invalid. Well, what is my point about? <laughs> I just I, I didn't get the impression that Citizen Kane is no, anywhere near as stagey as this. It's pretty stagey still. It's only um, one it's year just, before. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just. <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still pretty stagey. Nah, yeah, you're right. It is, we we may have to watch that, watch that. Watch that. I didn't watch it recently. It's. A, I made Joey watch it recently. I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, I guess there, there's a lot more stagey moments, but it's, it's just a lot more well thought out in the sense of like cinematographically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think that. Yeah, I think that Wells had a better sense of where to put the camera. Probably. And worked a lot closer with like, let's innovate in these ways. And there's no doubt let's that dig a hole and put yeah. the cameraman in a pit. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that they were ever. I, I think that what's interesting about this one is I don't think that they necessarily set out to innovate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not I think technically it, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, it it's kind of stood the test of time. It's, it's a decent movie. Again, n- you know, not, I don't think it would be in my top 30, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's still in the hundred and you know, that's good. I don't know that it makes my top hundred, but my top hundred is based on my enjoyment, not fucking uh, historical significance of movies. I got you. you can, so you think you've got a hundred movies that, that you are like mo- better that than That are more this. likely to put on and enjoy on a Sunday morning? Yeah. 
There's okay. definitely a hundred movies I'm going to oh. watch before this, without a doubt. Huh. I'm with him, but you know, okay. I'm a I'm a young moron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch Bill and Ted's probably a hundred times before I watch this. Huh. <laughs> okay, Derek just judged you harshly. <laughs> harshly. All right. Like All I said, right. I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again in my life unless I'm like. Unless there's like a educational purpose or something behind it. Yeah, actually, do, you right. don't think you could show this in a, in a film class? No, no, that's what I said. Like, I might show it to students or something like that, but I, I'm never going to sit down and watch this movie and, and, you know, like as for no reason. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. I cool. could maybe see using it for like that leitmotif moment, like the transitions. Those are really nice ways to use like small musical themes mm -hmm. and break them up into small little moments and use them to be symbolic elements of your story. Cause whenever you do that, it's really cool. I think, cause yeah. you know, even if like 25% of your audience gets it, that's really cool. I love that idea. And even if the rest of them subconsciously get it somehow, it's the extra special. So whenever you can add symbolism into your music, do it, you know, unless it's just to be careful about telegraphing it. <laughs> just don't do it. Don't do it too much. <laughs> That's the artistry. Yeah, exactly. Ride the line. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I Castle think we're Blanca. done. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the uh, movie show yet to be named. Uh, you can contact us on the Twitters and the tweets. Now you can't. Don't reach out. We won't reach back. I'll tell you what, you can check me out, J-O-E-B-O-N-I-E-R, Twitter. At least send me an idea of a movie you want to watch if you if, if you ever happen to listen to this in the craziest fantasy. If it ever is on the internet. Yeah, if it happens to be. So you can always just tell me, hey, Joey, watch this movie. It's a classic. Right. What if they say, watch Casablanca again? Then I'll tell them to find another fucking movie. We just watched it. There's a lot. Uh, you can contact me at the uh, text before calling on the Twitters, and Derek is somewhere on there. I'm somewhere on there. Yeah. Just look. You'll find him. Yeah. yeah. There's some other shows, Fawcast.com. None of them are current. <laughs> um, yeah. Fuck y'all. Later. Peace. <laughs>